I just learned that uh, as of March 2019, the world record for the loudest scream is 129 decibels. <laughs> <laughs> they have to be going high on that, right? Like a squeal. I don't know. It doesn't say. Mm. But okay, wait. How does how does pitch work? At like okay, so if you're a higher pitch, was that does that mean you it's like a smaller band of frequency? I don't know. I'm looking it up. For some reason, I don't know. For some reason, I'm thinking lower is like a larger. Uh, wait. Maybe I didn't find it. Um, hold on. I'm gonna search pitch visualized. Pitch is a subjective dimension of hearing. It is the sound quality oh. most closely related to the frequency of a pure tone. High frequency tones are perceived as being of high pitch, while low frequency tones are said to be of low pitch. Okay. That's what, okay, so that's what I was wondering, because it's like a higher pitch is a higher frequency. So it's just like an output with more leverage, basically. Yeah. Like you're getting more volume for the amount of, of energy that you're pushing out versus if you just like trying to yell as low pitch as you can, <laughs> as loud as you can, you'll just be like, <laughs> like, you'll just be like, it won't, it won't be anything. <laughs> but yeah um, well, I thought about that that's what's weird well I guess this leads into something else that we're gonna talk about but there's <clears throat> I don't know there's some interesting facts I just found about uh, sound and low frequencies being used for like as a tool almost which is interesting because I thought that higher frequencies would be more powerful, kind of like what you're saying. But yeah, it turns out, um, what does it say that like? There's a recent study suggesting that the pyramids in Giza uh, were like they. What does it say? They claim that ancient Egyptians benefited from the sound and the construction of the Great Pyramid of Giza. So the sound inside of it. They relied on the discovery of a dead end in the rock inside the pyramid room as a tube of acoustic resonance that generates ultrasonic waves at a base frequency within 5 hertz. 5 hertz is like, you can barely even hear that. You can't hear that, actually. I think the human ear can only hear um, human hearing range starts as low as 20 hertz. 20 hertz, okay. So it's suggesting that this low frequency was used to actually move rocks into place, like big-ass rocks to build the pyramids. And I've heard there's been a lot of religious books that like my mom has given me and stuff or that I've heard of from her that suggest that same thing. Like religious figures building things like Noah's Ark or whatever, like with sound 
and less, I don't know, labor. And it kind of makes sense because you look at those structures and you look at these buildings that were built, you know, thousands, thousands of years ago and they're fucking huge and they don't have cranes or like anything or maybe they did. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> something like it, but like, yeah, it, that's something I've looked at, um, a lot, uh, in the past is, yeah, just you, people using sound to change. I don't know. This is just like, what is it like the wind? Like they have like an entry point where the wind is normally blowing and the wind like blows in and then goes to these chambers and then hits this certain size. I'm not really sure. That's what I was trying to look at. This raises the question of the importance of ultrasound for the ancients. And can we find the use of sound waves between ancient cultures? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it doesn't really say like where the sound would be coming from. That's probably a good part of the puzzle to have. <laughs> um, maybe it's just like a hum or something. Like, because that's the thing. Five hertz. Like, I'm trying to think. Like, what a bass would be at. Like, tuned to A. That'd probably be close to like five hertz. Like, just playing an open A note on a bass, like, tuned down to A. To drop A, yeah. 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 Like... And you know what that's... It's just, like, deep fart. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, if you've ever played, like, on a piano with octaves and stuff, and you go all the way down, and you can't even hear it anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, even if even if it's not about, like, some secret sound technology that we don't know about where, yeah, they could move stuff by vibrating. Like, it might just be for religious purposes. They're, like, meditative. Mm, I just found they had sound healing. Sound healing, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe they just had a way to... I mean, they were geniuses, like the Egyptians. Um, oddly, this topic also connects with aliens, but um, <laughs> I guess everything does. Yeah, it all goes back to aliens. Well, I mean, the ancient alien and like ancient astronauts, I guess they call them. That's like a big, a big rabbit hole that a lot of people are into. Yeah. And I find it I find it quite interesting. And some of the stuff is compelling, I mean, with especially where it crosses over with religion, but Yeah, I don't know. Do you know the meme of like a <laughs> It's like any like any I don't know, culture does something that white people don't do and the white people aliens. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I love that meme. So it's like, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. But yeah. the pyramids are like crazy. They're, they're like alien structures. Yeah. I mean, especially for their time. It's, there's nothing like it. And and we still can't replicate it. Yeah. Basically, like we couldn't make it ourselves. Except so for Bass Pro, but go ahead. 
<laughs> Again, I think this is the second time we've brought up the Bass Pro uh, <laughs> pyramid. <laughs> that needs to like needs to be a our icon. Or yeah, no, I'm about to bring up the about to bring up the image right now, and just just in case anyone wasn't aware. Yeah, there you go, and it's beauty. Had to share it on the screen. Um, but yeah, I mean, and them just matching up with constellations and planets and like knowing how they're going to align and all that shit. Like, Yeah, what I'm looking at right now is actually, I'm trying to look for what those gravitational lines are called around the Earth. Because we have like gravitational waves, but on the, on the surface of the Earth, <clears throat> it like translates to there being like these streaks where there's like highly dense magnetic activity. Mm -hmm. And I know that the Great Pyramid of Giza is at the intersection of one of these. And there's some other ancient sites that are as well. I think these are called lay, lay lines, L-E-Y line. Okay. Um, this is still debated though. That if ley lines even exist, that's what this is. I'm probably looking at some bullshit right now. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, there is like areas with with disproportionately high magnetic activity, and the Great Pyramids are one of these. You know, so there's yeah, and like the sound chamber. There's lots of reasons. That like when we look back on history, that we that makes us think that. The ancients, they knew about the forces of nature and they had intuitions into the forces of nature in ways that maybe we don't or in ways that we do, but they derived it from a different method, like less technological, maybe more natural. Yeah, because the digital world didn't exist. So like there was more incentive to explore the real world and reality and like find how things work and how they don't work and what's good and what's not good. And like there's more trial and error in the real world, which I think is the only way to, you know, succeed or accomplish goals. And like, that's apparent more like today more than ever, I think, unfortunately. Yeah. But I mean, not to say not to say that there isn't good that can come from the digital world, you know, like people having that same incentive for digital world stuff, but and building like modern day pyramids in a digital sense, you know, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, the, the modern the modern day pyramid is the the internet was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. not a pyramid it was supposed to be flat yeah I mean like equal uh, and instead now it, yeah it's a pyramid scheme yeah <laughs> yeah along with our money system it's a pyramid, yeah pyramid scheme but yeah um I mean it's interesting when I think about like the sound resonance stuff also like if you really could shake the ground enough in a certain area. See, like maybe if you could, if you built like literally a, 
pyramid of Giza size pyramid and you had a chamber in the middle that was just meant to collect all this resonance and vibrate. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the only experiment that makes sense to me. But if you yeah. do that, you imagine putting a big heavy block in the middle of that room with a resonation and it would just be like, yeah, kind of shaking and you would just be able to push it. Yeah. That makes and more so sense. That, that makes that more makes sense, sense than like thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people pulling giant For hundreds of miles thousands of miles. yeah just slabs of fucking like the same dimension of rock like up or like you know like however they built it like using sound makes way more sense than uh the hit movie I, uh prince of egypt <laughs> dreamworks <laughs> Yeah, I love, I love that it. that soundtrack is off the chain. <clears throat> that part, that part when uh, a part when Moses does DMT. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like the part when the the sorcerers in the Egyptian like oh, palace yeah. are like turning their like staves into snakes and shit. See, that was that. That's another talking about like how they had knowledge into like natural. Uh, I don't know, the natural world or the natural forces of Well, yeah, so. people talk about witchcraft and stuff, and, like, that seemed like witchcraft to me, like... Well, like, the Bible recognizes, and, like, Christian, like, uh, at least Christians who take the Bible as literal truth, like, take the Bible as whole truth, uh, which there's some Christians that are like, oh, the Old Testament, we interpret this way and the New mm-hmm. this way. So there's different camps, but, like, for someone that takes the whole, the Old Testament truth like you believe in magicians like because right. they well i mean along with a, a lot of other crazy things but you know there really were there was claims in the in the bible or talk of magicians who could do things like yeah turning stabs into snakes um what else did they do they were just generally had like hidden knowledge and stuff that's basically yeah, kind of what yeah that's kind of what it talks i mean even like solomon even david like david uh either visited or consulted with a witch or something like that or like a magician or whatever like yeah it's really interesting that a lot of religious texts also point to there being things like magicians or whatever yeah magicians magic spirits and when you look, like when you look at history, like if we lived 300 years ago, or what was it? Three, so in the 1700s, that's like around when yeah. Newton, when Newton was around. Yeah. Okay, Newton developed a mathematics that I don't even fully understand. <laughs> so like Newton was, was patently smarter than me, but he also spent a majority, not majority, just a huge portion of his time on alchemy. Right. And like had a lot of other ideas that we consider kooky nowadays. Yeah. But in his, if you lived in his time, if you looked at history, if you looked at texts, the most timeless texts and wisdom that existed, like it was common knowledge that was something was was real, and that uh, that what was real? Ma- magic. Magic. Okay. And of course, that that God was real. I, I'm pretty sure Newton was religious or Catholic or something, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was just normal to have these mix of like scientific, very scientific and quantitative 
things like calculus where you can you can predict where a certain star is going to be on a certain night yeah. based off of the function. You know, like that's one side, but it would be mixed with stuff that's more more mysterious and inquisitive and open-ended, mm-hmm. uh, like alchemy that, that he spent so much of his time doing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, he kind of, or they thought that alchemy was a science somewhat at the time too. But there's just this blurring of science and, and spirituality mm-hmm. in a certain way that we don't, well, I, we do have that today. It's just not in the mainstream. Yeah. Really. Like, there's a if, huge it, if it is, yeah, if it is in the mainstream, it just has to do with like crystals and shit. No, dude. Do you know? Uh, do you know about like the the manifestation? Yeah. Oh, ideas yeah. That people have with with quantum in the quantum field. Um. No. Well, maybe. <laughs> it's maybe, just yeah. a layer. It's just a layer. It seems like to me, which once again. Or I know I said this to you before off camera, but I'm I'm I consider myself someone who's like truly open to consideration for, yeah, for all possibilities of same. reality. No matter which version of reality you take, even the what the strict scientific what we know, there's still such huge mysteries even in that reality that we just you have to take it as it is that we live in an extremely strange universe and there's mysteries that we just unknowns of unknowns we don't even know how to inquire what it could be and so like that's that's how i think so i don't want to say that the idea of manifestation or whatever is fully bullshit but there's a huge sect of of podcasts and media and influencers that push this stuff and they're now using like quantum as like the modern lingo and like quantum physics and these guys are coming out as quantum physicists, you know, through academia. And yeah, maybe they have the degree, but then they come, they're also like spiritual practitioners. Yeah. And they make these metaphysical claims that like, yes, you know, like energy is, energy is the most bottom state. This is the argument is that energy is the most bottom state of being and that matter comes from energy. And then quantum physics proves that. Mm-hmm. And then because of that, we can in- inwardly resonate with such energies at which we create reality out of our energy and intentions okay. and like that's the kind of that's basically the the, the spiel which it's a fascinating idea you know it's a yeah. fun type of idea to think about but so what's the know, difference doing that <laughs> yeah what's the difference between like manifest manifesting you know your reality i've learned a lot about with you name it i mean Wiccan, whatever you want to call it, paganism, paganism. magic, magic, like with a K, like <clears throat> they have always taught that, yeah, you just, you manifest whatever it is you want. You set your intent and you like focus on it and whatever it is, if your intentions are as you say they are and you focus on it and you do your own little ritual that you come up with to like ensure that that's your intention, that it'll like come true. So what's the difference between that and um, I guess you were saying they're adding just quantum physics to that concept. Is that what a, am I understanding it correctly? Yeah, They're basically, yeah, justifying that by saying that 
now with modern science, we know, like they they would admit themselves like we can't replicate this and experiment or blah, blah, blah. But we know because we can now peer into the quantum field. Uh-huh. We know that, that matter comes from energy. And therefore, this explains all this phenomenon that happens and the placebo effect, stuff like that. Which those, those things are fascinating. Like the placebo effect is a real, not real thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like people can really, I don't want to say can, people have really healed themselves mm-hmm. seemingly yep. through, through intention yep. or, through the, or through the placebo. Like the placebo effect basically is the intention or the belief or the faith of something coming to being or betterment. And the thing that here I am, here I am, and I was like gonna try and tear this idea apart, but really I'm 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 attracted to it in a certain way because the thing is there's a line, an invisible line that we don't know where it is, seemingly where we have influence with our attention or with our thinking, with our energy, and then we stop having like you can have so much influence over your body to where maybe like there are meditators, uh, monks who can, who can regulate their heartbeat at a near superhuman level. Yeah. So that's an amount of attention. So, okay. The line's not there. So it's a little further. Yeah. But the thing is, we don't know where the line is. Yeah. We don't know where it ends. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and there's, there's, and then the placebo effect is people can get over being sick because they thought they took a drug or people can get over being sick because they didn't, they didn't think they took, they, they didn't think they, you know, took a good drug or something, but they yeah. think that think their way into it and it just works. Yeah. And, and, That's exactly and so, how I get over colds is I drink a shit ton of water and I go to, and I lay in my bed and I'm like, all right, tomorrow I'm not going to be sick. <laughs> and no, I just and do that until I get better. <laughs> I've thought about this before as well, that like I have this, mentality that like i'm like i'm not very clean and i've like exposed myself to a lot of dirty things and just mm-hmm. that I, I just have this idea that i have a strong immune system and yep. then like when i get sick i'm thinking about how like i'm gonna get over this so fast like i have such a strong immune system and i don't know like i just have this kind of yeah you know i've yeah, thought about true. that in the same way like am i Am I just like manifesting this? Yeah, is there something to that? Or like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I like when I, a couple, I've spent, I have a lot of books on manifesting reality or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I've spent a lot of time reading a lot of crazy fucking people talk about it, (laughs) I guess. But But I'm just drawn to more of like the esoteric weirdos for some reason they're more interesting but the more i just keep reading it the more i'm just like y'all are just living life it seems like like when you really boil it down there doesn't have to be this like religious uh background to it you know like it just seems like it i don't know it seems too what's so it's not wishy-washy but it's kind of that to me, the whole concept of like manifesting your, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, what's the word 
your future. Yeah, like it's very, very like I think people do that already is basically what I'm saying. I think that's such a normal thing that people probably do subconsciously. Maybe not. I mean. Well, it's like there's an aspect of it that that seems to fit into neuroscience that it has to happen. Like if you're going to do something, especially if you're going to do something or some yeah, something you haven't done before or something difficult, you need to like think about it. Yeah. Like you need to have it in your head and plan. Okay, but that's a different type of thinking. Planning isn't manifesting necessarily. Yeah. But where's where's that line drawn? And like so you know, there's some extent that's like practical and pragmatic. We do need to like manifest and get ready and get our body ready and our mind ready and kind of used to an idea of doing something. Mm-hmm. If we're gonna do something hard and marathon. But like where does that how much of that can you step into? You know, and that's and that's a question. Um, and like is the is the culmination of everything have? Mm-hmm. Is that is a lot of that credited to, you know, our beliefs or us manifesting or us believing these certain stories, you know, like just as, as guys, I, I don't know, we should, we have this belief about what a guy, a guy should be able to do, you know, run around and hurt and skate and, you know, kind of do all these rough and t- things, put ourselves in harm's way. And like, that's just kind of just natural to us. We can, we can just lean into that and then end up doing crazy stunts and kind of just make things happen mm-hmm. because we, we have that identity lean into that. I've been fully harbored, you know, yeah. but it's like, can I do that with anything? And like, what is the extent? Of course, it's not all thinking. You have to live it out, but what, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it gets fuzzy, but yeah, yeah I, like you're saying, there's, there's a lot of people that, that, push these ideas and try and be gurus and and make YouTube channels and try and make money off of it. And that's sickening, but it's just plain, a plain fact to say that you should have a positive bias. I should reframe this, that you should, you should set intentions with positive. Like you should have a positive image of yourself, a positive image of what's going to happen. Um, Generally just, like an optimism because that just makes that changes your physiology. We know that yeah. it changes the way you react to things. It changes your capabilities. And so uh, do you, do you remember when we talked about, Oh my gosh, what is it? It's a, uh, it's a philosophical argument. Pascal's wager. Yeah. Pascal's wager. Yeah. This idea that like you should believe in God either way. Yeah. Because like, yeah, even if he's not real, it's a good, but, you know, if he is, you'll go to hell if you don't, you should. So Pascal's wager, there's almost a, for there's almost a manifesting, what? almost a Pascal's wager type of thing for manifesting or for this idea. Oh, for yeah, yeah. Where it's like, well, we don't really know if it's real or why or what the placebo effect is, but it almost makes sense to do it either way. Yeah, like what do you like, have to lose type of thing? Yeah. Well, it, it it just it seems like a, the more I read it, the more I realized it was basically saying to have a good attitude, kind of like what you're saying too. Yeah. Like just like, and that like also with the whole like whole PMA thing, positive mental attitude. 
you know like all that stuff really does help smile laughing when nothing is funny like just randomly by yourself in a room that can boost your mood like or laughing when something's negative yeah you know like someone who builds up that habit to laugh when that's what i've been trying to do a lot it gets you in trouble sometimes or in awkward situations but at the end of the day it makes you mentally okay with where you're at in life (laughs) yeah no matter what because i mean i i actually talked to uh tyler about that recently that laughter is it really is the best medicine and it sucks that a lot of people nowadays are like becoming too serious i think which i don't want to i don't want to damper on any like tragedy you know like I, I want people to grieve however they want to grieve and like that's their right and they should do that and they should but i feel like they should be grieving but also like an equal amount of joking just about the absurdity of how fucked up things can be you know because it it really helps at least it's really helped me in my life like almost cope or come to terms with things that have happened in my life that I'm just like, how could this happen? And instead of like, instead of being like, how could this happen? Like, I don't understand it. You kind of just accept you're never going to understand it and laugh at the fact that you're never going to understand it. Yeah. And for some reason it just helps certain people. I don't know. Some people it doesn't help, you know, but Mm -hmm. I think it's the attitude yeah. that which, because I think people, a lot of, maybe this is just a dumbass thing to say, but like, it seems like a lot of people out of pride yeah. and like superiority, like more scoffing. Yeah. But like yeah. the laughter that you want to have is like something like you, I don't know, you stub your toe or something inconvenient happened. You bump into something with your car. Yeah. And like, that's something that you could just like, you could let yourself just sit on that for hours and just, <laughs> fuck, yeah. I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> or you can just, I don't know, you can just like take a step back. Yeah, it's just like an attitude of taking a step back and like laughing at, you know, just like inconvenient things happen. Here's another thing, like I have to deal with this. Well, yeah. Just, I don't know. I don't well, know what it then is. Whenever, it, whenever multiple people are laughing at something in that moment, then what, are you going to be the asshole that's like, fuck, 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 like <laughs> sitting there getting upset while everyone's laughing and like it's not really that big yeah. of a deal? <laughs> like, so, yeah, there's there's almost like a social – or when you fall down, like when you stub, stub your toe or trip. <laughs> like when you're alone and you trip, you just like – you just like gasp <laughs> yeah. and heavy breathe and just like look around. <laughs> and, yeah, then, and you yeah. see if anyone saw. But yeah. like when you're with your friends, like you'll all laugh. Yeah. So there's like a social pressure. But can you do it without the social pressure? Can you do it just as yourself, kind of separating from yourself, laughing at yourself? That's true freedom. I think that's yeah. true. I think that's true. Like, that's some big, big brain shit. <laughs> like, that's some stuff you have to do exactly what you were saying. Like, take a step back. You have to be able to, like, take a step back until it becomes just, like, reaction. Like, but it could probably be a detriment like everything in life you know like what happens when you start just laughing at that's why i'm kind of like 
scared to go to funerals and stuff personally is because I'm afraid I've been trying to condition my brain to laugh at when things are sad that like I'm scared to go <laughs> to a funeral or anything because I don't know how I'm going to necessarily my my reaction's going to be you know like I'm sad I'm mourning I'm grieving but I'm also like I don't want to stay in this negative headspace, you know? And I guess it's not negative if someone passes away necessarily, but, like, I don't know. It's it's weird. I mean, <clears throat> I actually had an experience within, within the last year where I went to, I mean, Jana's grandma's funeral, basically. And, you know, I'm a pretty... I'm a pretty stoic person. Like I don't, I don't show a lot of a lot of emotion. In some ways, in other ways, I do. But you know, like when I was in that room with everyone that was grieving, like I, I didn't know how I would react. But you know, I ended up like crying myself, and like I couldn't hold it back. Like just kind of sharing in that grief. Yeah. But at the same time, there was something like liberating and almost beautiful about it. Yeah. But it's, it's, it can't be put in words. Like, I can't tell you what beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, no, words wouldn't make sense. Like, just the, I don't know, the scarcity of life and the fact that, like, this life is over and that people loved them and that, well, that's, those are all terrible things. Like, there's nothing beautiful about that. But at the same time, there is just, like, this beauty to the permanence and this beauty that you get to have this like deep experience. And like, I was just humble. Like I'm having this deep experience with all of these people. And there's something like honorable about that to go through that. And I don't know, like, I, like afterwards I was just like full of joy. And Maybe more people should go to funerals nowadays <laughs> to get that perspective. Yeah. I mean, or, or go to a f- funeral, yeah, like that, where like intimate, where mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's just intimate and real because we we're surrounded by all of this tragedy, but we don't. It's always separate from us in a certain way, where like it doesn't pierce through; it like just hardens us. Yeah, but something like that, it just pierces through. Like you can't hold back the tears; you have to like kind of just open open that up, and yeah, yeah, you know, everyone, you know, whether it's going to a funeral or just you know, taking a heroic dose, like (laughs) whatever gets you weeping. Yeah. Like that's a good, that's a good experience. You just have that like at least once a year. Yeah. yeah. Keep yourself humble. Like you don't want to start thinking that you're the man, you're the man stand walking around. You don't need to, I don't need to cry this year. Yeah. (laughs) I'll cry next year. (laughs) Oh, you should cry this year. Maybe this month. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we were. Uh, I, I have a bunch of notes. You have what? A bunch of notes here about the main topic. Uh, yeah. If you, you want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to get into it, I mean, it kind of. We want to, or I. I've just had this interest for a while and took some notes recently on the history, technology, the deep history, like starting from the Stone Age, basically or even before that. But, I mean, this goes back to energy. Um, 
So we were talking about energy earlier and how ancient people seem to have, seem to be able to harness energy in ways that we've forgotten and in different ways and ways. Um, and the, the entire history of technology and all the technology is, is energy and the ability to harness energy uh and leverage it really because yeah. because that's what that's what humans do but yeah. starting i mean starting at the absolute very beginning of of life in general like if you which you know maybe there's different theories of life that people entertain but if you entertain the idea of basic evolutionary theory which is natural selection um and uh you know, passing genes on the next generation, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, what what else? What else fits in there? You know, I mean, mutations, mutation. The nature does all these experiments, and of course, that is a competition. Yeah. Okay, so you've got, you know, when life starts getting complex at some point in Earth's history, it's pretty distributed. Maybe it's just multicellular life. But already you have slightly different formations of the multicellular life forms that are in slightly different environments. Maybe one's in a toxic sludge pool and the other one's in a, I don't know, deep in the ocean by a, uh, some vent yeah. next to the earth. You know, just like these extreme environments where life starts like, and, you know, so you've got slightly different species, slightly different environment. And then, the species just kind of like adapts to the environment mm-hmm. in such a way to where if you're next to the vent, you know, maybe you find a way to latch onto it to where it's hot, but not too hot. Yeah. Or you like develop something that helps with shielding from the heat or something like over, yeah, you over just, like millions of years or thousands yeah. of years. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands, millions of years. This happens, you know, all these ex- experiments are happening most of the species that ever existed have died. Yeah. And the ones that lasted, and this is, this is another theme uh, that goes across the entire history of time. The ones that lasted are the ones that have an un- Are the ones, the ones that, have, that They have an unfair advantage. Oh. Or they have an edge, at, at least in their environment, or at least in some... In evolutionary theory, they call it a niche. In some niche, they've they've like owned that or or come up with some advantage. Yeah. And so just and usually that advantage involves energy, like whether the energy comes from, uh, I don't know. I'm a hyena and I've got a fucking just powerful jaw and I can chew through bones. Yeah. You know, like that's some kind of energy. Yeah. And they had an environment that where it made sense to adapt in such a way. And it turned out it was a good bet to put all your energy in your jaw. If you lived in the savannas of Africa or whatever, Mm -hmm. and that became the unfair advantage kind of for their little niche and they, and they've made it. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, it's energy there. Um, and you know, you can see, you can see these dynamics all, all across nature. Like, the advantage you have might be a defense, might be a defensive advantage, an advantage of running away or just flying away like a bird. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
Yeah. So, so, so let's talk about humans in this. Yep. What if, what if humans, humans advantage? For with, with technology or just like, or just what's our advantage above, like in our niche, in our environment, which is whole earth. Um, I mean, I don't really know. I mean, we have multiple, I, I would, I would like to think. Yeah, we, we, we do have multiple. That's true. But really the theme is, I mean, technology or how I put it is just, um, the ability to harness energy. Mm, yeah. Like we can harness energy in ways that other animals can't. Yeah. And all and, kinds, dead animals for our cars, uh, <laughs> water, <laughs> uh, electricity. We used to have to uh, hunt whales for oil. Dang. But yeah, and you, humans, just like from a from a standpoint of like how our actual anatomy is, like the bet, the investment for humans was our thinking capacity mm. or our ability to communicate or abstract ideas and things, because that's what allowed us to. Um, be clever enough to harness energy in the ways that we did. Mm -hmm. Let me start to point my notes here. Um, but one thing, if you think about, I, I love this quote from Steve Jobs. Probably a lot of people have heard this. Uh, he was just talking about like how uh, kind of like the, the early Apple computers and what the computer meant for people into the future. Mm -hmm. And he said he remembers seeing like some nature magazine when he was a kid that was showing all the fastest animals like ranked uh, from like number one to number 200 or something. Yep. And at the top was, I don't know, maybe the cheetah, something yep. like that. And humans were like way down the list, way, way down the list, you know, like 150 or something. Yeah. But a human on a bicycle is at the top of the list. Nice. Yeah. Hell yeah. And so, he saw computers. He said the computers are the bicycle mind. Oh, that makes sense. And and I think what the the general thing that he's kind of pointing at there is that we've harnessed energy in some kind of clever way that gives us an unfair advantage above everything. And like because we can think and come up with these things, we can go from number one fifty to jumping the whole list. And that's the idea is that it's capture or use of energy and then deploying it with leverage or le levering it. Like with a bicycle, you're levering, uh, you know, like how, you know, how basic level you can go across multiple, what are the actual pieces called? I think pulleys, like the circular, uh, a, lev a lever system or something. Well, I guess, yeah, lever system is the most, uh, if you have like, you know, a, a board mm. and it's on a wedge yeah. and the longer it is, the heavier the thing you can, yeah. okay. Yeah. So that's, like, that's the basic principle. And so something like a bicycle is like a leverage of like going from, we could lift a stone to now we can lift a building mm -hmm. or something like that. Like it was such a huge jump mm. and that's these themes that happen really across the history of technology is these is these jumps 
in orders of magnitude where we can capture better, faster, stronger, yeah. uh, more efficiently. And that's really like where the whole story begins. Um, and it's not really far. I guess sound technology wouldn't really be far from that concept either. Because, I mean, I feel like if, if anything produces energy, humans can probably harness it to and manipulate it to do things that we want it to do. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. And so what, what came first? I think... I think the first tool, the first piece of technology that wasn't given to us by nature, and by that I mean it wasn't like a natural sense that came with your body or so something that was first coded tool made by man. Yeah, or made by anything. Uh, you know, actually, I'm I'm I was jumping ahead. Actually, some some other animals um, use shells. You know, take shells from their environment, make nests. Yeah. So I guess those those kinds of behaviors are worth, and that's a that's a way of of kind of using a tool or using a technology. Yeah. Um, but humans are the first one to really apply it for for force. It seems. Sorry, not humans. Early humanoid. Whatever. You know, yeah. primate esque ancestors. Yeah. With tools, like the first, I imagine that the was probably just the a rock. Hammer. Yeah, like a hammer. Or, or a hammer or a bone, like in uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah. When he gets, he finds the bone. That's like the first moment. That's like the first, which that's why that moment, in that, I think that's why it's in the movies, because it was showing like, this is the first time that man, or not man, but like early, early animal, you know, used something cleverly in the environment to create force, to create advantage create technology mm-hmm. and use it. And then from there, the whole story changes. And then we get to how, <laughs> you know, the, the AI Yeah. from there. And um, so, yeah, that, that first tool, I think, was just like the rock that the, you know, one monkey used to bash in another monkey, yeah. basically. And from there, the, the most notable next one, I think, and one that's interesting and holds a lot of spiritual, spiritual, I don't know, value and energy, it's fire. Oh, yeah, true. Like fire is, is a natural energy that we harnessed. And you think about like before fire, what was life like? Yeah, for real. I dude, every recently when I've been going camping, I just stare at fire. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? What the yeah. fuck is this? Why am I 26 and I'm in the middle of nowhere and I'm still, it's 2020, there's a pandemic and I'm just staring at a campfire. I'm like, you survive off of oxygen and we breathe oxygen and you're just burning dead trees that are cut up. <laughs> like you're just existing on these, like you're engulfing these logs with your ex- like existence on, and you're conducting energy like that keeps me warm like it's when you really break it down that way it's like i don't know it's kind of a mind fuck yeah and i I think like fire represents it's like this opposite 
of us. We almost see it that way. Mm-hmm. Like, and and you can think of like the archetype where like yin, yin yang, for example, mm-hmm. like uh, order versus disorder, order versus chaos. And fire almost represents chaos where these yep. other natural forces, energy represents chaos. Yep. And humans have the ability to take chaos and make order from it mm-hmm. to take the energy that's wild and untamed and tame it and leverage it into one particular, one certain direction. You know, if you're early for early man, it was, it was, yeah. I mean, making campfire for one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know what you're talking about? Like looking at the fire, like I've noticed this a lot more as an adult that like, I, when you're cooking, uh, I don't know, when you're cooking around the fire, just sitting around the fire, you just look into it and there's something deep in our DNA that recognizes this as a as a portal into something, like a portal into our, like a place of safety, yeah. a place of, I don't know, there's just something, it's it feels warm. almost holy about it. It's warmth. Yeah, and it just brings you into the present, it quiets your mind, yeah. relaxes and at the same time, I think it also connects, also opens you up for connection with those around with you. Maybe I'm getting a little woo-woo there. No, I mean, it makes sense but. because anytime any spiritual people like express how they felt a presence of God or whatever it is, like the term warmth is used a lot, you know, for to like express enjoyment, pleasure, uh, I don't know, safety, comfort, like without fire even being present, warmth is used as an expression to like say like you're feeling as like a way of being cared for almost or something. Yeah. And like yeah. And, and fire cannot even be present in that moment. But people are still using terms to ex- like describe what fire is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, so fire has it has this deep tie with us. Another thing that's unique, and this is another archetype, the idea of stealing fire from the gods, hmm. or taking the apple of Eden. Mm-hmm. No other animals play with fire. We're the first animal on Earth to play with fire, hmm. and you know, like. Yeah, I, I think that's you can see that kind of theme in, in deep archetypes types of, of humanity and religions, stuff like that. But we are the first only to play, only one to play with fire. And, and fire, I think, is was the real gateway for us into that, that launched us into be, being capable of, of creating all these other techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's a few reasons why. For, for one, fire allows you to cook. And cooking your food is basically pre-digesting your food. Yeah. And so you are you're allocating your energy more efficiently. So you're pre-digesting your food. So then you eat that food. It takes less energy to digest. Gives you more energy in turn. And, and yeah, so now... Um, now you, now you can cook and pre-digest your food. More energy, it's leverage right there. 
So you're doing the same thing, the same hunting and gathering. And on top of that, you can see at night. You could do stuff at night. You know, you can carry around a torch. You can go into caves to protect yourself. So that's like a type of defensive leverage. You can hide yourself from the element, hide yourself from dangerous animals, retreat deep into these caves and make these fires. And at the same time, while we're doing this at night, we're communicating. And I would imagine, we don't know who invented fire, when fire was invented, yeah. or if language was around or communicating. Yeah. But I, th- I think it's obvious that fire had this huge role in allowing us to spend all the evening, all the night talking, kind of sharpening our communication and making it more, more sophisticated. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and so so it made us smarter. It made us um, kind of stronger because of our food. It made us create communities, or it, it allowed communities to to thrive more. You know, if you have fire, like yeah. you're saying, together, like being able to spend more time congregating and talking, and like not having to just like focus on not freezing to death. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like you don't have to huddle up together at night. You can go, um, you can you can go out explore at night. You can you have times to just sit around and just experiment. You know, was it was when was it was a, was the sharpened spear? Was it made first after the fire fire was invented? Yeah, right, right. You know, and I think that a lot of like certain types of wood, like you you burn with the fire, you scorch it while while you sharpen it. That. Um, and so, and yeah, so pe- people used fire to burn down like entire forests. Also, yeah. like they caused great destruction just on purpose. And California, <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, there was there was not much to damage back then, and and, and they yeah. didn't care. But you know, they could do that to like scare, also scare away, scaring away animals, like even yeah. big predatory animals. Yeah. Um. Ooh, and another cool thing is that there's a certain type of mushroom. I think it's called a fly. R. Some, I don't remember the second word. I'm looking it up. But uh, it's it's a kind that it's it's super flammable and it stays. Basically, you can set it on fire, and you can carry it in a pouch in like a shell or something that can contain it, and the ember will stay alive for days. Really? And so people made fire portable. Yeah. And wow. so people discovered, and you know, this is no doubt a product of experimentation. You just pick up some mushroom and you're playing with it in a cave at night and you set it on fire, you know, and, and, it, and it just has these embers. Wow. Okay. Well, this means I can transport fire now. That's insane. I'm trying to find the name of that right now. Fly Eric. I don't remember. I, uh, I heard, uh, What's his name? Paul Stamets talking about it. Okay. That's cool. I'll, I'll have to find it later. But, um, let's see. Looking over my notes, I've touched literally two things. <laughs> so we're still talking about fire. <laughs> um, spiritual significance of fire, civilization. Okay, so we, I guess we kind of already, but spears, we're talking about sharpening spears. Yeah. I think spears and just missiles, people don't think of it as a missile. 
Yeah. But the invention of the missile was was yeah this this spear or arrows bow and arrows, and this allows you know like nature is inherently we t- we talked about this earlier like nature is inherently unfair. Mm-hmm. It's trying like its little agents are all trying to compete to get an unfair advantage so it can dominate its nation or dominate. And before, like, humans, you know, created fire, basically, just monkeys with rocks, you know, we were running and hiding, and, you know, we had certain advantages, but with the environment was brutal. We were victims of our environment. Yeah, That's why the sure. lifestyle was hunter-getters, these small groups moving light and fast, and the, these small groups couldn't really come together and know each other. And then you go post fire and we're making huge bonfires and having these spiritual, you know, celebrations and community communities with each other and roaming the land and like becoming bigger and, and stronger and faster. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, th- this theme of finding this unfair advantage and the missile is such an epitome of this when it comes to offensive as well as defensive also as well. But Fire isn't quite as much off. You can't attack at least a direct animal with fire. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're in a threatening environment, you burn the whole thing down. Yeah. You're surrounded by wolves or coyotes or something. I guess you could set the grass on fire around you and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But this, the sling, slings also fit into this, this idea of missiles, slings, spears. Yeah, projectiles. Projectiles, yeah. These things allow you to get up on the edge of a cliff and just throw spears down at your enemy or your, yep. the, the animal you're trying to hunt. Yep. And that's just not fair. <laughs> like that's literally, that's unfair. Like you, um, or, or, you know, even just like the, the human sneak up on you with spears and then they all throw them at once. Yeah. And then one of them gets you. And so you fuck, that's it. And you know, like it's, and it's the technology that allows us to do this. You know, you can't you can't throw a rock mm-hmm. at a wild hog and, and hunt it that way necessarily. Yeah. Right. Um, but you can tie that. You could sharpen that rock and tie it to a long stick that's also been modified, and you can therefore throw that spear at a hog and then injure it enough to kill it while it's, you know injured <laughs> yeah well that's, that's like struggling to get away yeah yeah and and the so this is like that next tier of of kind of uh, most mostly offensive capability mm-hmm. um so now we develop better hunting techniques this gets us more time more energy just just more of everything that we good so now we've got more time to kind of experiment more time to (laughs) reproduce have a bunch of kids and can actually sustain them because you can you can hunt bigger animals you can hunt big game now yep keep keep your kids warm with the skins and like feed them and yeah so you can move into more environments more fluidly yeah go farther um and you see how it just, it just, like each, each of the, and these are just single innovations 
and it just expands our capabilities all of a sudden. And then over like hundreds of years or thousands of years, like in, in human history, these technologies will come out and they'll just, we'll slowly integrate them basically. Like it'll slowly be adopted. Which just like how the internet was slowly adopted. Now it dominates mm-hmm. kind of the world. Um, that, it's the same process. This we call it an adoption curve. It happens, and so, uh, yeah, it's it's really it really sticks with these same themes of energy and, and leverage. I'm trying to think if we if we miss anything really important in that era of like fire, got spears. So this is basically the stone age. Yeah. I mean, there's like probably traps. Well, maybe not traps in the Stone Age, but yeah, I mean, it would probably. Oh, just... I mean, I'd say traps falls into that. Well, because I don't know. You... It might be a little more after the Stone Age, you know, like maybe because I feel like, I mean, we're no es- experts, honestly, but like, I don't know. It would make more sense to me if traps were a little later, but they could have been. I mean, it seems like. In Stone Age, when I think of Stone Age, I'm thinking kind of what you were saying. Like, people were just like, oh, I found a rock. And that person has a better rock than I do. So, I'm going to try and hit them with this. It feels pretty heavy. (laughs) And then just like, that's what I imagined. They weren't thinking like, oh, this thing moves faster than me. And I I know where it's going. I know the trail that it's on. Um, and I recognize it has a daily path, unlike me, a human, like I don't really necessarily do what this animal is doing. I can see that it's going to get water from there and it walks, it's creating this pathway naturally in the grass. I'm going to put a string or I'm going to build, I'm going to dig a big hole and put sticks and leaves over it, over the path and then wait and then wait for it to fall in. I think that took like, that probably took a long time for people to go from bashing things in the head with sticks and like stones to then like, that's like an elaborate. Well, I think at the point that you're doing sharpening of a stick Mm -hmm. and understanding to throw that stick or to sling something, I think at that point, that's the same kind of intelligence of recognizing, Oh, when something falls too far, it dies or, or if it falls into a hole, it gets stuck mm-hmm. or something like that. I could dig a hole, but how would I make it fall in? I have to hide. And, you know, you, you can kind of see how these ideas come about. Or, or with traps, I was thinking specifically, if you have like a strong but flexible branch, yeah. you know, you're just ancient man. You just pull on it and you stretch it all the way back and you feel that, that it's tensed up and then you let it go and it slings. Yeah. Well, that's natural energy right there. That's like a a type of natural force. And so you can exert the minimal amount of force and bend that branch back and tie it up and then attach it to a net. Mm -hmm. And then you now expended that force up front and that single expenditure, you can now just walk away Yeah, and you did it one time. And if now it's leveraged, it's waiting for something to step on and then it'll activate. You know, if you just had the branch and you were waiting for, a rabbit to come by or whatever, and you're going to smack it in the branch, or I don't know, or you had the net, yeah, and you were just waiting for it to come by, and you're going to pull it, you know. So this is this is that way where you get efficiency and you get leverage, and all you're doing is kind of just noticing the natural forces, or with the pit, 
the natural forces of gravity. Gravity goes down. Yep. <laughs> like if I put you down in a place you can't get out of, you're mine, and that's it. Um, I'm looking it up because it's driving me crazy. Yeah, yeah, do it. I mean, it's kind of it'll be vague because, like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, trapping. It says a lot of like the trapping that like net trapping was in the 16th century um but oh yeah net trapping i guess um it does say neo neolithic hunters so like 55 to 2750 bc use traps um doesn't really say what kind of oh uh Net traps, yeah. So I guess, yeah, they would use net traps with, like, hoops and stuff and, like... Oh, well, actually, fishing first nets trap, too. the first trap involves fire. The first trap is oh, driving right. animals off yeah. the ledge or driving them into a certain area to trap them. Yeah. By using their natural like fear of fire. Burning, yeah, force down and, yeah. That's right. Or even just like carrying carrying torches, you, you think about, I don't know, if you surround a hog yeah. efficiently and you can push them up against the edge and then push them off the edge of a cliff or something like that. And that goes right back to, to us as humans being being the only animals that will play with fire because of, because we have the foolishness to play with fire, you know, we have, we're capable of like kind of, yeah, getting the benefits of it. Yeah. Can't scare Shrek though. They tried. <laughs> they had torches and failed. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So traps, missiles, fire. <laughs> yeah. We're not, we're not. We're not getting very far. But something. Something interesting. I. I, I heard this on a podcast. Looked into it to do with slings, there was during the second Punic war, um, there was this tribe called the Gallic or the, the series of tribes called the Gallic tribes that were super proficient with these slings and arrows. Hmm. They had these like, they were like six feet long slings. Wow. And they would have these just fist size or probably even smaller. I imagine. I think, I think a little bit ones like this, like they yeah. would like, twirl them around their head and like and then let go of one of the ends yeah 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 and then yeah would sling out yeah and so these tribes that was just like a technology that they're especially good with and fond of and they were so good that um like the the romans would say that you know one of these tribesmen they could they could kill a roman with a helmet on wow you know sling an air uh, sling a rock into his head from 50 yards away Wow. <laughs> like you imagine you're half a football field away. You just see like, yeah, yeah. like this thing sling around in the distance, a little dot getting closer and closer. I mean, that's yeah. what, isn't that what they like claim David used and like the story of David and Goliath, like that type of sling, like that makes sense. Yeah. And, and yeah, David, the, that's the same thing. And, and once again, that's a story we, we don't normally interpret and in, in, as Christians, we interpret the story of like Dave versus Goliath, yeah. like 
taking down giants in your life. (laughs) Yeah, taking down giants in your life, exactly. And that's one framing, but another kind of way to look at it is this theme of of leverage that that Goliath has all this this kind of given by nature. He has these muscles and he has these kind of brute force uh, defenses and offenses from, from nature. Mm-hmm. And then David represents just technology and leverage. Yeah. Like David doesn't need to be strong. He just needs his one shot and he needs to have enough leverage to that shot. And he needs to be skilled enough to hit it. And, and that's what happens. He can take down Goliath. And of course, in the story, he has the help of God, but kind of just as an archetypal way of looking at it, um, you know, you, you can see it in that way mm-hmm. of man. That's just a man against nature. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the Romans set, uh, they had these letters. One was titled death from above on the Rome, the Romans and effectiveness of close quarters, weapons, swords and spears. Wow. <laughs> and so like they couldn't, they could, they were trying, you know, they were conquering all the land and conquered these, these tribes people. Yeah. Cause they were using this basically stone age-esque technology the yeah. sling just with such effectiveness because they could like they could range attack these the romans that were trying to use spears right like spears and swords and melee combat and like the romans were like buff or not buff but like just like they were like very like militarized and yeah. didn't really take into account that people could hit you from afar you know yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, and so the the Gallic tribes, their advantage was just a little bit more distant. Yeah, because maybe the Romans had spears and had arrows, but they didn't have uh, speed and like mobility. Probably they had to u- like move as units to conquer, and sometimes that's not easy to do whenever you're facing people that are like you're describing that tribe is being like elusive and creative and smart basically. Yeah. And they were the defenders also, uh, which, which is an advantage, which this goes right back to forces of where if you have gravity on your side, like that's just a natural yep. defense that everyone intuits is having the high ground. Yeah. You know, if you have the high ground, the people that don't have the high ground, they have to fight nature as well as fight you. Yeah. And so you're just applying force that you didn't even create against, you know, against your enemy or against a specific problem. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so uh, it's a lot of stuff about about missiles. Um, another thing is water. Actually. Uh, so I, man, we could just talk about all forces nature or forces of energy yeah but water is one that also early um but water water is mostly defensive mm-hmm. i would say because uh, you can you can harness energy you can farm fish i guess once you learn like if you learn how to make dam and you can like you can subvert or you can create like a divot in a stream 
and you can like have fish going down there and then you can cut it off and trap it yeah. on yeah. something like that. Like, yeah. It's a very a passive of- way. Yeah. Water is a very passive form of energy, but it's essential. I think obviously. Yeah. And, and you know, early, early settlements, if you have any kind of settlement, you have to have a source of water. Yeah. Water is life for us. Like we, we have to have it. Um, and so eventually like we develop better ways of, it's hard to carry water. Water is just heavy. I mean, you could have animals do it. We use animals as leverage to carry, carry our, carry our load, carry our water. Yeah. I guess animals could have been the first tool, maybe not first, but like for food, you know, for, I guess food's different than a tool, but yeah, definitely use ox for like oxen for like plowing and well, doing anything other than just like eating, yeah, you know, the corpse and then having your full, all the fill that you can. Like that's, that's completely primitive. But once you are like, Hey, maybe we should take this or maybe we should just skin or maybe we should do this or maybe we should leave it alive and actually capture it and put the, put our, put all of our grain and all of our rocks on it and then we don't have to carry it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just, I have, I'm basing this off of, I'm not at all an expert in anything, yeah, of course. but <laughs> you know, like I just, it really makes sense. A lot of this abstraction was developed because of fire and with fire and with our ability to like communicate and experiment in caves or in camps at night mm-hmm. and just having the extra time and uh, just looking around and, and seeing what's really around and can do with it. And, and talking about God-given tools, I mean, our hands, these are these general purpose uh, tools that nature gave us that's like, they're not quite for smashing. They're not quite for, <laughs> like, I don't know, like you can swing with them, but you can't swing not with our weight, our bodies. Yeah, you have, to, you have to condition other limbs of your body to swing properly like you gotta not only condition the hands but then you gotta condition what's connected to the hands and everything else you know to support your weight of swinging yeah exactly it's like a different distribution using energy and using leverage Mm -hmm. and align with your environment environment in the trees versus you know at some point man not, not man uh primates were in the trees and then kind of went more on land and you know and then our hands aren't even used for for running they don't make us faster yeah so you almost wonder if it's like an accident you know we were after to the ice age or i don't remember just some period or in history early man because this is where the the stone ape hypothesis comes from Hmm. also is that like Early man was kind of driven from the trees and barren lands and was doing tracking and finding animal school on the plains and stuff like that. But yeah, so so these early humanoids end up and we've kind of got these these things. We used to use them for swinging. Yeah. They're made for, for like basically swinging and running on all fours, running away, climbing. And now we've got these things 
And it's like this happy accident yeah. because they're, they're, re, they're able to be kind of slightly changed into something that's these very general purpose tools that let us, yeah, sharpen, sharpen the stick or, or make the, tr- the trap or the, the clothes out of fur, or all of these things. And so... But then it know, sucks. Like, it sucks that then they can equally hands are just used to do all the heinous, horrible things too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you start thinking about it. Yeah, I mean the the same hand that yeah makes the makes the blanket you know smashes the other monkeys or yeah. whatever. Like yeah, it's it's a tool used for both. And you know that's tools. We're talking about tools leverage energy. Energy, when people say this about tools, that like tools can be used as weapons, or people argue like, oh, a gun is, a gun is not a weapon, a gun is a tool. Mm-hmm. And like really any tool is just a thing that lets you harness more energy in a specific, in a specific, yeah. in a specific what? It yeah, cut a out. A specific type of way. Oh, okay. If you have a wrench, a wrench doesn't do very well with a nail, but if you have a, a certain type of bolt or whatever that like you actually have more leverage mm-hmm. using that. But of course a, a wrench can also, you can just like hit someone over the head and steal their money. Yeah. All the same. <laughs> that's another form of leverage. So, <laughs> you know, like that's a tool, tool and a weapon, or you can just, you know, loosen up someone's, I don't know, someone's car parts or something and like, yeah. you know, try and create a trap where they die in your car. So, you know, any tool can be used in some sense. Mm-hmm. And this goes to the idea that, like, yeah, we played with fire. We are the species that decided to take on the danger and the violence and the responsibility of creating more leverage, more energy within our hand. Um, and I think that's that's a real story of, of humanity. And I, I think that's one that us all the way up till today. I feel like we're there's no way we'll get through all this since we're still literally in the Stone Ages, basically. Well, I mean, we can always do like a two-parter because, I mean, what I wanted to talk about uh, technology is like biblical technology. Maybe not biblical, but like more of like Ark of the Covenant, uh, the chariot that like – who was it? Enoch? Was that his name? Someone was taking – in a fiery chariot. Oh. I don't think okay. it was Enoch. Maybe it was. The story where base uh no, Elijah, where basically God was like, Elijah, you're not even gonna die. I'm just gonna send down a chariot and you're gonna come up to heaven. Like Yeah. Like what? What? <laughs> a fiery chariot? Like what? Yeah, I think that was I think that wasn't much. And at that point, is that is that technology? Is that a phenomena? Is that a miracle? You know, like what exactly would that be? Like a chariot is a form of technology because humans built it to leverage horses and wheels and you know momentum. But then, like when you start talking about this thing called god sending down a fiery one from the heavens like how are we supposed to 
you know, interpret that, I guess. Yeah. It's interesting. I have this um, pulled up just like an analysis of the fire archetype. And it says here under spiritual fire. In Christianity, fire suggests religious zeal. Martyrdom is another aspect of the fire archetype. But hell also has very close associations with fire. Christians use a symbol of a candle and its flame to suggest prayer and to represent the spirit of the departed. Catholics use smoke as a part of the ritual for in selecting a new pope. Yeah, see, I've always been, I've literally always been confused why the Bible and sects of Christianity talk about fire being this, like, uh, being all these positive things, and then they're like, yeah, but if you don't believe in it, you're going to go to a, a big-ass place that's full of a bunch of fire <laughs> forever. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think it goes back to, like, the 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 paradox of, like, the the fire is inherently a destructive force, and it's dangerous, yeah. but it's also, like, they're saying it's zeal, it's martyrdom, or it's, like, cleansing, like the cleansing fire, the, the spiritual fire. That it's something that, you know, like, that the the creation or the destruction that's inside of creation. So I, th- I think it's just like that natural coexisting of those two, you know, yin and yang. Yeah, true. They're right alongside each other. Yeah. And that even, even that Lucifer is a fallen angel. Yeah. That Lucifer is of the same spiritual material, but that he has so much, you know, what was it, ego? Yeah. Yeah, basically ego that he wanted to be self, that he had so much power and capabilities and he wanted more. Yeah. And, you know, and, and of course, these same things can be logical. It's just because what we, it's what we know the most. But a lot of these same things, they carry across other religions all the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, we can. Do you want to try and do a two parter? Do you want to get through some more of it? Or we're at an hour and 30, but I'm going to trim oh. off like a good 15 minutes of the beginning. Um, okay. No, we should just do a, a second parter. Okay. It's fun. I feel like a, a lot a lot of this, we were kind of just talking about like some of the archetypes and the early tools and yeah. kind of these foundations at which, because I, I use words like leverage a lot. Like, Ask Jana. Yeah. And there's just like, I have so much, there's so much behind that word for me when I think about it. Mm. And a lot of it comes back to an edge or an unfair advantage or a force multiplier. And so I think it's like, it's interesting to talk about that in a historical perspective and just analyze how big a component or the fact that that's just the major component of what makes us who we are. Yeah what brought us here. And so like that, then looking at that, get modern technology and, and Facebook and like all this bullshit noise that we're surrounded with all the time. Yeah. We're so surrounded by technology and understanding that someone else's technology or I don't know, technology that we're interacting. With, it's applying some kind of force multiplier, some kind of leverage, but against what? Yeah. You know, yeah, and, and that's that's where it gets where it gets interesting in modern time. So, 
That that definitely could be a good topic to start talking about for the next one. Like <laughs> gradually getting to coming to that topic. I like I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Cool. Let's, let's do it, man. All right. Um Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for yeah. listening and watching, y'all. <laughs>